For those of you that may be guests here today, I just want to tell you something. Now, I know I'm prejudiced, but this is a great church. <laughs> this is a great church. What a wonderful church family we have. And uh, I'm so thankful that we can do life together. Praise God. I'm going to minister for just a few moments, and then at the end of the service, we're going to have communion together. I knew as I was preparing this that I was going to be launching into a topic and a subject and into a passage of Scripture that I would not have time to do much more than just give an introduction to. But for those of you uh, who have been with us the past several weeks, we've been focusing on a theme this summer of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we have seen many people gloriously baptized in the Holy Spirit in the last few weeks. And it's been interesting because some of you who are old-timers have come and said, this reminds me of old time. And I, I just have to sit back and say, you know what? God has never changed. God has never changed. He desires to pour His Spirit upon all people, and we are thankful for that. And today I'm going to begin to start uh, to do some teaching and instruction out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about how the Holy Spirit ministers in a corporate setting within His church. And the title of the message is Concerning Spiritual Gifts. And I've had a number of, of different authors and things that I've studied, but I have to tell you that Dr. George Wood and some of his writing has been key in, in my study time and in my writing and preparing for this. I'm going to ask that you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. The scripture says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. Lord, as we begin to enter into your word this morning, we recognize that we need the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. And so I ask that you would anoint me to present your word and truth in a way that is understandable for us and in a way that we can apply it within our lives for your glory's sake. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you in this day and age of texting still like to write letters? About five, well, there's more over here. You still like to write letters. That's, that's good. How many of you like to talk on the phone long time? Long conversations. There are a few of you. I don't like to write letters, and I don't like to be on the phone a long time. 
But I believe that if the Apostle Paul were here today, he would have raised his hand. Because as you discover, as you read his letters, he was never short-winded. In fact, I was imagining as I was thinking about this this week, what it was like for the guy who had to sign for the letters when Paul's letters arrived, you know, Whatever the postal service looked like in that day, the guy rocks up and said, I've got a letter from you from the Apostle Paul. And the guy at the door says, just a second, let me get some friends to help me bring it in. Because it was going to be long and it was going to be heavy. But Paul wrote because he was very thorough in everything that he said. And he had a lot to say to the Corinthians as it related to spiritual gifts and their use within the church. If you have your bulletin, you'll notice that the outline is there for you. And if you want to jot down some notes between the points and subpoints, it may be helpful to you. Because I understand that for those of you that are used to looking up here, you're going to see things on the wall. And some of you may not have a great view of that. The first thing that I want to point out to you this morning is the scripture says, I do not want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Paul recognized, excuse me, recognized in a day and age when the Holy Spirit was being poured out, when there were life within the church, spiritual life within the church, that it was possible for the church people of that day to be ignorant concerning what God desired and how he designed spiritual gifts to be functioning within the church. And there are two kind of ignorance that I believe that he wanted to address. One sort of ignorance would be the ignorance that I would call the ignorance that does not open the gifts that the Lord has given to his church. It's an ignorance that says, for whatever reason, I don't want to go to a place if the gifts of the Spirit are going to be evidenced there because it may make me feel uncomfortable. It may be something that, in my own mind, causes confusion. And so there's an ignorance that does not open the gifts that the Lord has given to his church. Some people are just afraid of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the reasons that may take place is because there are some people who in their own spiritual life, these are Christians I'm talking about, in their own spiritual life have not allowed themselves to grow to a place where they are spiritually alive enough to know and enjoy when God begins to speak through the manifestations of His Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, they would rather stay in places of comfort than let the Lord draw them through His Holy Spirit to new places of growth. There are some people that believe that the gifts are not for today, and I believe that we have addressed that in some previous messages that we do understand, that the Holy Spirit is being outpoured upon all of us. He said that He was going to pour it out in the last days. He said it was a gift that was given to to those of us who were afar off. We are seeing the evidence of that Scripture taking place in our own body as God is pouring out His Spirit. And honestly, I believe that if we are going to be people that not just survive in these last days, but thrive in the last days, it's going to have to be because we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit and we need the Pentecostal experience to give us the oomph that we need to be a light in a dark world. So there's a lack of aliveness and faith to believe that these may be appropriated and used in the church today for some. Some people believe and are ignorant about the spiritual gifts that they've not been opened because persons believe that the gifts are simply a manifestation of natural talents. So if people are good teachers, then therefore they should have knowledge, or knowledge being understood as an exercise or the ability to get into the Scripture and understand it. 
Or people that are optimistic people, well, they just naturally demonstrate the gift of faith. That's just the way that works. But such a view is to misunderstand the functioning of the gifts. God has way more for us. And he does things in us and through us that we recognize have got to be God. How many of you have experienced something in your life that when you look back on it, you said, I know that was God and that was not of me? Many of you have. Because he's so actively and vividly involved in every detail of our life. I've also discovered that there's an ignorance as it relates to the spiritual gift that some of them are unopened because it becomes inconvenient to a service schedule. I can tell you that as a pastor, I like to be on time. We have things timed to the minute in many instances. And yet, at the same time, I recognize that my authority is under the shepherd himself. And there are moments in time when we give these these service times to him that he has every right and every ability to do whatever he wants because we are his people and we are in his house. How be it from us to say what God can and cannot do in his own house and with his own people. Sometimes this gift is unopened because it tends to scare guests away. I've heard this from many people saying, you know what, our church would grow at a much rapid, more rapid rate if it was just if we could just keep the gifts from being used in the service. People leave and say, I'm never going to come back to that again. I believe I've addressed this in the past. And I said, I want a supernatural God, not a God that I can keep in a box. Not a God that I can control. I want a God that does things that blow my mind because of his power and his grace. He knows more about each of us than any of us know about ourselves. We should always allow there to be room. Even if it scares people who are experiencing it for the first time. We should always allow room for the gifts of the Spirit. Now, how many of you have been saved about your whole life? How many of you remember the days where we used to be called holy rollers? Do you know why they called us holy rollers? Because there was life in the church. The Spirit of God began to do things. Now, I'm not saying that we should have an all-out wild spirit party here that has no boundaries. But I am saying that at least when people came into the presence of God, they knew something different was happening there that was drawing in their spirit. And I want you to know something. There have been a lot of people that heard a manifestation of the spirit or had somebody address them being used by the spirit that may have left afraid saying, I'll never go back, that we're drawn back because the spirit is a drawing agent. I would rather have a church grow because of the presence of the spirit than the lack of the spirit. Some people have been ignorant about the gifts and left them unopened because they see them as ineffective and powerless. Like, what difference does it make? I believe that we as a body of believers who are asking God to pour out His Spirit upon us need to come to an understanding that we cannot manifest these on our own. They've got to be Spirit-driven. They've got to be Spirit-empowered. They have to be Spirit-discerned. But when they are, there are things that God is doing and taking place within lives that only God can do. And there is a power that we need in the presence of the Holy Spirit. These are not natural gifts. 
You cannot work them out in yourselves. God gives the gifts as He desires. They may correspond to a natural ability or complement that ability, but I want you to know that when you've been tapped into the power of the Holy Spirit, you will recognize your natural ability stops and the Spirit of the Lord picks it up and carries it on from there. The second ignorance that Paul began to address here was the the ignorance of the misuse of the gifts. And that specifically was why he was writing to the Corinthians. He obviously did not need to correct the first type of ignorance of not opening the gifts because the Corinthians, as you read it, had all of the gifts and they were using them all and they long ago had thrown away the wrappings of the gifts and so he was writing to correct or bring back into balance the misuse of the gifts. We come to an understanding that there are two kinds of extremes in the Pentecostal movement or the charismatic renewal. One of them is called charisphobia or a fear of what the Spirit might do. The other is charismania, which is an all-out, no-holds-barred, no-guidelines, whatever the Spirit wants to do, let Him do, and it leaves people in confusion. So one is a fear, the other is an overindulgence. And Paul writes to correct so that we might know the proper way that the Spirit may move within the church. And so secondly, he corrects them. And he begins to talk to them about some of the following misuses. He's talking now to people who are accustomed to coming into a service and there being no order whatsoever. And he begins to address them and he says, Listen, here's one of the things that needs to be corrected about this. You are considering the gifts as competitive rather than complementary. What you would see as you read through this, and I want you to know that we will get much deeper into this as we go through the next couple of weeks, but I'm just introducing this to you today. But what you see within the Corinthian church was the absolute um, mayhem of tongues without utterance within the body there in Corinth. It appeared that people thought that if they gave a message in tongues in a corporate setting, that it demonstrated to everybody else around them how spiritual that they were. And so people were standing up almost as marks of, look who I am, and giving messages in tongues, and any guests that were coming in were left in utter confusion because there was tongues, no interpretation, and everybody was jumping up to the point where it seemed as if the one who was going to be doing the teaching or preaching of that day had very little or no time whatsoever to bring the word Persons were apparently comparing themselves. And it seemed as if there was a party atmosphere in the spirit within the Corinthian church as everybody was competing and trying to express their gift so that they could look more favorable to everybody else and more spiritual. I want you to know that this is not to be the case. Not all the gifts are given to one person. Neither the nine gifts... Here are the gifts in Ephesians or Romans 12, and there can be anywhere from 19 to 24 spiritual gifts depending on who counts them and which ones you count. All the gifts are expressed in Christ's life with the exception of tongues and interpretation. And so the Holy Spirit brings to the body the evidences of the ministry of Jesus through each one of us in different ways. 
for the purpose that the body would grow and that there would be a common good and that we would support one another. It's a family element that he recognizes is needed in order for the body to develop well. And so the gifts are distributed in the body. No one person has them all, but each has something, and the gifts are to be complementary rather than competitive. Because they're complementary, we can be at home when the Spirit manifests himself through the gifts in our body. Another thing that Paul corrects at Corinth is not considering love essential to ensure the proper use of the gifts. As we go through this, you're going to discover that chapters 12 begins to list the manifestations of the Spirit that we can expect. Chapter 13 speaks of the love in which is necessary for them to be administered, and chapter 14 begins to give us some guidelines. Now, for those of you who like Oreo cookies, you recognize that you don't buy the cookie for the chocolate on the outside. You buy it because they have stuffing in the middle. I want you to understand that I think that the the way that this letter was written indicates to us of the absolute value and importance that anything that is done within the body, anytime you are moved upon by the Spirit to bring a manifestation within the body, you must know that the foundation that you have to stand upon is not a look-at-me foundation, but an I love my Lord and I love this body and everything that I do will be done out of love for the body because that is the key that Paul states to everything. And the Corinthians were not considering love essential to the use of the gifts. If we do not make sure that love is the foundation, then what happens is the manifestations become spiritual showcases. For look at me. Look how spiritual I am. I've been in places, Cindy and I, when we were traveling, have been in places where There were moments when I would sit back and I would be shocked at the way things took place in some services, whether it be uh, manifestations of the Spirit, whether it be uh, sometimes flag teams and things of that nature, that it indicated by the way that things were done that glory was not to go to God. I mean, they did everything but take a bow at the end, indicating that this is my spiritual showcase and I want you to know how spiritual I am and how great I am and because that is done without love. Because when the Spirit of the Lord moves, the Spirit of the Lord gets the glory, not the individual. And so we must be certain that when the Lord moves upon us and we see the gifts and evidence that it is done on the basis of love, or otherwise you are nothing more than a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal just making noise that everyone else would run away from. Another way that the Corinthians were failing to use the gifts properly and therefore were ignorant of them, was that they were not regulating the gifts through proper order. The indication as you read chapter 12 is that there was a general state of confusion that was taking place in the Corinthian service. To the point where we understand that several people at the same time were standing up and perhaps giving messages in tongues and others perhaps trying to yell out in prophecy and and others giving words of, of, of wisdom and all of this was taking place simultaneously to the point that you may only capture what was taking place in your little sphere of where you were seated but this was all simultaneous and it was absolute confusion. 
What it indicates is that there was a lot of people getting individually blessed, but there was no congregation getting edified. There's a big difference. Lots of people were getting blessed, but not very many people were being edified. And Paul says you've got to regulate these things. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, if there is somebody who has been given a gift of the spirit and they misuse it and are corrected, they can never say, I couldn't help myself. The Spirit forced me. No, no, no. We need to understand that when the gifts are given, that we have complete control over their timing and how they're used and what's going on. Early in my ministry, we were in the middle of a service like this, and as I was preaching, there was a man that had been a part of our church for a long time that suddenly in the middle of the message began to speak in tongues and caused quite a distraction. And I remember saying to him, Brother, hold that. Right now the anointing is right here, not right there. And then at the end of the service, I said, now if the Spirit is still speaking, go ahead. And afterwards, we begin to see how the Lord was moving and God was stirring in his heart. He didn't understand the difference in preparation for something and the momentary instance of not controlling what the Spirit was doing. Because we have control of what God does. He also says that there needs to be two and no more than three in a service. We've not often, often had that problem here where I've had to say, whoop, that's it, no more. But there is an order. In other words, it is to be a complement to what is taking place in the service. It is not to be the primary object of what takes place. And if we get to a place in a particular service where there are multiple people that may have a, a message in tongues and an interpretation or a word from the Lord, I can assure you that any of us who are our pastoral staff here, when we get to that, we will bring guidelines because we do not want to do anything that the Word does not give us permission to do. And so we bring order to the gifts. Sometimes too much is too much. I had a conversation with a pastor, this was probably 20 years ago, who apart, after I'd been a part of the service, there were numbers of people that were standing up and giving words from the Lord and, and, and some of them were speaking in prophecy and others tongues and interpretation and it went way beyond the two or the three and at the end of that, I, as I was having lunch with him, I said, how do you justify what took place in the service this morning with the instruction that Paul gives to two or no more than three and he told me, he says, there may have been only two or three that were accurate out of that this morning. And I said, I don't believe that that was the intent of the word. I believe the intent of the word was to bring a control so that you have opportunity to declare the word in that. And it was quite interesting to me how this was interpreted. Sometimes too much is too much. Sometimes the sacred becomes commonplace. And I can tell you this. I have dear friends in ministry who are hesitant to allow the Spirit of the Lord to move because they feel the sacred has become too commonplace. They feel the same people has to say the same thing every week. And as a result of that, it's lost the power that is supposed to be demonstrated when the Spirit has a word or has something for the church. And so it's easier to close the door than it is to try to say, can we make something genuine when the Spirit speaks? And we've got to be careful that we don't misuse, but we regulate. That is one of the reasons why after there is a message, whether it be prophetic, 
whether it be tongues or interpretations, that your pastors will get up and we will give instruction. Because number one, I want to remove fear from those who may never have been in a place where they've heard that before. I want them to know that because we are a Bible-believing church, that there is a scriptural floor that they can stand on, that it fits with, and that they can either hear the word of the Lord because sometimes God is speaking to the unsaved. And it captures their... I'll tell you what. You can remember the first time you ever heard a message in tongues in church. If you were a kid and you were talking, you stopped talking. It yanks your attention to what's taking place. Maybe because it seems so strange at that time, but I have seen time and time and time again that the interpretation touched somebody's heart right where they were. Right where they were. Another way that the Corinthians were misusing the gifts was not evaluating the appropriateness of the exercise of the gift. In other words, they were putting way too high a priority on uninterpreted utterances of tongues. People were standing up and speaking in tongues, and Paul's going, think about this for a minute. What use does that have to anybody? If you stand up and you give a message in tongues and there's no interpretation, nobody has any understanding whatsoever of what's taking place. He says there's no use to a congregation, and so if you're going to give an utterance in tongues, it must be interpreted. I can tell you that we have had situations in our congregation here where there have been times when people have given a message in tongues or an utterance in tongues where there was no interpretation. What generally happens during that time is after a period of time and it doesn't seem to be an interpretation is coming, I will get up and we will move the service along and in that either somebody had an interpretation that did not want to step out in faith and give it Or it was a moment where an individual became edified in themselves. We need to understand that correction does not mean you need to leave a church. If you're corrected, it doesn't mean you have to leave the church in humility. It means that every one of us have areas in which we need to grow. Part of the body of Christ is loving people through the development of these gifts. And frankly, we have very few opportunities anymore where people can develop their spiritual gifts that God may give to them. And so I encourage you, in your small groups in your houses, if there's somebody who feels prompted by the Spirit to give a word, then do it. If you're in a classroom setting in a church and you feel prompted that I just feel like the Lord is laying something upon my heart, then do it. We need to have the giftings evident in all of the things we do, not just necessarily here, because it will benefit us and it will give everybody an opportunity to grow in proficiency with their giftings. There have been moments and times when individuals have genuinely felt a prompting of the Spirit and due to the exuberance of their personal nature have demonstrated either in the way that they present a message in tongues with such volume and such a frightening way that it literally scares people around them. Now that doesn't make the gift that was being demonstrated wrong. It makes the demonstration inappropriate. And so we work with one another to bring about an appropriateness to the way that the gifts are manifested so that the body may be edified and built up together. And again, correction doesn't mean you have to leave. 
it means we have to grow. And if we'll be patient with one another, then we can learn how to appropriately express the gifts in the appropriate way without feeling like we have to quench the Spirit of God in a service or in a church. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And there must be liberty and a fostering and an encouraging in the Spirit. And I want to encourage you to express the gifts in the Lord. And I also want to say that the Scripture will always maintain its ability to be the vehicle by the appropriateness of that gift to be judged. And so we don't quench the Spirit, we teach as we learn the appropriateness of expressing a gift. Another thing that was being corrected is that the Corinthians were using the gifts as a barometer of spirituality. I need you to know right now that being used in the gifts of the Spirit, and I'm not just talking about the verbal gifts, even though they are the ones that most often are observed in a setting, and I will get into the classifications of them in in the weeks to come. But just because an individual may give a message in tongues or may give an interpretation or may give a prophecy does not mean that they are more spiritual than everybody else. In fact, I have seen times where individuals were used in the gifts that I didn't think were living a spiritual life at all. What it does, however, is it hinders the ability of those around. If you are not living a holy life and you begin to be used in the Spirit, they may disqualify what God may be trying to say through you because of the life that you live. And so I encourage you to understand that being used in the gifts does not make you more spiritual or less spiritual. And that's where the Corinthians were making their mistake The true indication of spirituality is not the expression of the gift. The true indication of spirituality is in the expression of the fruit of the Spirit within your life. No one person has all the gifts, but we can have the fruit of the Spirit. The gifts are plural. The fruit is singular. And so I ask you, Those whom you look at in your spiritual walk and you admire the most, is it because they are used in spiritual gifts or is it because they've demonstrated the fruit of the Spirit on a regular basis? I can tell you in my life, it's the fruit. I love to be around people who demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, it says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? And he will say, I never knew you. Now, I want you to look at this verse in the context of what I'm saying that the Corinthians were being instructed on. It very clearly indicates that there are those who may have seen effective ministry in the gifts of the Spirit, but because their life was lacking the fruit of the Spirit, the Lord will say to them, the power of my name was working through you, and the power of the Word was working through you, even though I did not dwell in you. And so for us to be able to assume that anybody that is used in the manifestations of the Spirit is automatically a spiritual person would be incorrect for us. As we prepare our hearts for communion, like I said, this was strictly an introduction and I feel like I have rushed through a lot of stuff. 
But I wanted to set a stage for where we're going. I believe with all of my heart that there are gifts that have laid latent within some of you. And I want us to have the opportunity to see what the Lord wants to do in His church. I want to see the ability of people within the church to minister to one another. And again, I'm going to begin to break down and, and, and bring some teaching to the difference in the verbal gifts versus the, the gifts of knowledge and, and things of that nature because I believe that the moment that you come to Christ and the moment that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, God makes available to you a gift and we need to open those because there's no way we can effectively minister to our congregation unless we are active in the gifts that He gives to us. And I want to see everything that God has for us fulfilled. I'm going to ask the worship team if you'd please come. I'm going to ask our men if you'd please go ahead and begin to distribute the communion elements. As the elements are being distributed and in just a moment our worship team is going to begin to sing, I want you to know this. The greatest gift that has ever been given to us is the gift of salvation. And for those of you that may be guests and maybe you haven't entered in yet to a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know that above and beyond everything else, Jesus loves you so much that he gave himself to pay the price for everything that you can't redeem yourself. We serve a gift-giving God. He comes into our lives as a giver, not a taker. And that's where Satan trips so many people up because there are those that I've had conversations with that say, if I get saved, what am I going to have to give up? Well, I'm going to have to quit doing this and quit doing that. I want you to know something. When Jesus comes in, he comes in giving. He gives blessing. He gives life. He gives joy. He gives everything that you've really looked for elsewhere, but that's what he comes to give to your life. And anything that he withdraws from you, you will never miss because of what he fills it with. And so we come to the Lord as a Savior today. And I'm going to ask that as you receive the elements, that you hold them in your hand and keep them until everybody is served. And then in just a moment, we're going to pray and have a wonderful time together. Thank you.